turn them to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I don't have a whole lot this evening, but it certainly is a subject. Uh, this sounds so sweet with all this going on. Something that gives hope even in the midst of all the uncertainty, and that is the return of Christ. What happens when Jesus comes back? You know, I, I, when I was younger, I never used to think there'd be the day when I would long for that. And I'll tell you what, as of late and with things that have gone on and just the state of the world, I find my heart more and more being drawn to that. What John says at the end of the book when he writes it, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know, I, like I said many times, I love life. I love my marriage and my family. I love this church. But man, this world is wrecked. It's bad. And I can't wait the day when Jesus makes it all right and all those relationships are taken up to the next level beyond what I could ever imagine. And to finally be with Him, it just sounds so sweet. Um especially with everything that's going on. So, I want to talk a little bit about that. In Revelation chapter 19, we're kind of slowing down just a little bit uh, to dwell on just a couple things. We see in the beginning of the chapter, there's all this rejoicing going on in heaven. Hallelujah, hallelujah, over and over again. Praise be to God, because something is happening, something monumental. The earth is shattered, it's it's. Uh, gone through literally hell on earth and now we've come to the point of the book of revelation what it's all about and that is christ as he returns so i want to just spend time on two verses and we'll look at just a couple things and then we'll we'll move on from there next week revelation chapter 7 excuse me chapter 19 verse 7 and verse 8 here is the reason for the rejoicing, Revelation 19.7. Let's be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. We spent uh, last part of last week looking at who is this wife, because she's pretty special, right? This is a pretty special event. The marriage has come. All of heaven is rejoicing because the marriage is here. Okay, we know without a doubt who the Lamb is. That's Christ. We find that in the book of Revelation. We find that in the writings of John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We know He calls Himself the bridegroom. Well, who's the wife? We, that's what we ended on last week looking at in the Old Testament. He calls Israel His wife. In the New Testament, He calls His church His wife. There's not two separate brides. If you remember back from the Sunday morning messages, uh, the church is grafted into the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11, we are all God's people. Israel of the Old Testament, the church of the New Testament, we are God's people. Make up His faithful people. So um, we spent time with that. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll kind of start from there. Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to see again and, and I hope this is one of those passages that sticks in your brain when you, when you think about the church and why is the church so important and why, why do we Baptists talk about that all the time and is it so important? Because it's such a beautiful thing. In Revelation 19.7 is a focal point of Christ coming back to be joined together with His church forever. Remember some of those verses? Uh, the, the, 
the last trump will sound and we'll be caught up in the air to ever be with him and Jesus himself makes the promise, I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I will come again to receive you to myself. Well, Revelation chapter 19, 7, the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's a fulfillment of the promise. So we want to be part of that people, right? Well, look at just the beauty. I just want to see some of the beauty here again. It's kind of where we left off of the relationship that God has with his church. Revelation chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You think about what marriage should be. There's order, there's structure, right? And it's not a, uh, the, the submissiveness that it's talking about is not like a rule over. No, it's, it's a companionship. It's a yielding to, as the husband takes the lead and, and, um, fulfills that role God has given him. It's a perfect picture of Christ. We don't come to church because we're forced to and you got Christ pounding on your head saying you better be here or you better do that. No, He asks us, doesn't He? Come follow me and, and I want you to do these things. And it's a, it's a servant leadership that He has shown us. Did He not get down on His hands and knees and wash the disciples' feet to show His Humility, well, that's how he leads the church. Though he is king and though he is God, he is the one who gave his life for us. And he leads us in that way. What a beautiful picture. Other religions have a head that's um, tyrannical, that's uh, authoritarian. Is that the word? Yeah. Authoritarian, whatever. (laughs) You get what I mean. Think of um, Allah, Allah, whatever you want to say it. People serve him, and he's not God. He, people serve him out of fear because you never know. He might be nice, he might not be nice. There's not a loving relationship. In fact, many of those who follow Islam are one to Christianity when you talk about the love of God and the love that he's shown in Christ because that's something that's foreign to them. Or they have these leaders that are uh, detached and untouchable. Not our head. He is as our husband, the head over us and leading and guiding. Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. What, what beautiful language. He gave His life for me, a sinner. Not only so I can be saved from the, the penalty of sin, but so that He can draw me along and as it will say here in just a couple verses, sanctify me. He delivers me. He has delivered me. He is delivering me from the power of sin, right? It's in times like this when things are going crazy, we look to Him for deliverance, don't we? Lord, help. Please work in this or please help the effect it's having on me. Listen, I, I, I try not to let stuff affect me, but these past couple of days have been kind of rough. Just the what ifs and what could happen in the future if this happens or that happens. And I have to find myself simply, as the Bible says, casting your care at His feet. Lord, this is all in your hands. And you know what? He's there to help, isn't He? He's there to help. He's there to draw. That's the relationship that we have. Look at verse um, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. The, the work that He does in our lives, the sanctifying, the cleansing. Yeah, we mess up, but He's there to forgive us. He's there to cleanse us. Verse 27, that He might present him, 
presented to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You keep that in mind when we go down a few words in Revelation chapter 19. Do you understand that we as a body here can be presented to him without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish? We can be presented holy because of the work that Christ is doing in us. Verse 29 says, The Lord cherishes and nourishes the church. Verse 30, We are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Pretty beautiful language, isn't it? Pretty beautiful language, pretty special relationship. That's what it means to be part of His body, to be part of His bride, His church. And there's coming a day when we don't have to think about these things spiritually anymore. This is all a spiritual experience, right? I don't see Jesus. If any of you say you've seen Jesus, you're crazy. Nobody's seen Him. The ones who have seen Him write the Bible. John himself writes that. That which we have seen and handled and and touched with our hands, that's what we're telling you about. We have not seen Him. Nobody's seen Him. We see Him spiritually by faith, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. That's our church verse. These things we believe in our heart and We experience everything spiritually. But there's coming a day when what is spiritual will be a physical reality. So, I won't have to believe Jesus is, which I do, we all do, right? I think it's Hebrews chapter 11. He who who comes to God must believe that He is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.4 or 11.6, something like that. We, we, come and we come here and we, we submit ourselves to the Bible because we believe God is and we have that spiritual belief. But there's coming a day when that faith will be made sight. We will finally see Jesus face to face. And we'll see the spiritual realm. There's part of me that longs for that, that is ready, very much ready to see Jesus. Are you ready for that? That's a pretty important question. Back to Revelation chapter 19. That's what these verses are talking about. When Jesus comes and He gathers His faithful to Himself and the marriage of the Lamb happens, the joining of His wife, His people from all ages are finally united with Christ to be with Him forever. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. Can you imagine all of human history, save Adam and maybe Moses, Elijah, John, they got close. But there's only a couple people walking the face of the earth ever that have seen God face to face. Other than that, every human in human history that has faithfully served God is longing to see Him, to be with Him. This is the day when it comes. Let us be glad and rejoice. No wonder heaven's worshiping. No wonder they're saying this is such a big event. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Let's spend some time with that phrase. His wife has made herself ready. Okay, we already found out who the wife is. And by the way, that term wife is different than the term bride used in Scriptures. Bride is like a young blushing bride, a a young girl or a younger woman ready to get married. Wife is a woman, matured. A settled, mature woman. And John, like I said, the words are used carefully in the Scripture. And John uses wife. 
You ever sit back and think about that? No, you probably didn't. That's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> That's my job description. Why would, why would he use that? Out of all the things, why does he use that term? Well, think about it. Though there is an aspect that will be new, like the physical sight, this isn't the first time we'll be meeting Jesus. We'll already be settled and matured in our relationship, right? You should, as a child of God, as a servant of God, you should know Jesus. You should be acquainted with Him and, and have a strong relationship. We should already be settled and matured in our relationship with Christ. You see, I don't need to see Him to love Him. In fact, there's a verse we're going to go to if we get time. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, You see Him, though you love Him, though you haven't seen Him yet. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We rejoice in that now, though I've never seen Him with my face. I read what is here in His Word, and I feel His Holy Spirit. And man, our heart grows in love, doesn't it? We, we don't need to see Him to love Him. We love Him by faith. And this isn't going to be the first time we, we meet Him, no. We met Him at the cross, didn't we? We've talked with Him for endless hours already. We've listened to His voice in, in Scripture. He's heard our voice as we've talked to Him. We've had those kind of conversations. He's carried us through many a struggle, held our hand on many a dark day. And sometimes we walk through life one step at a time, but each time, each step we take, we know we're surrounded in His love and sheltered in His almighty hand. No, this will not be the first time we meet Jesus. It'll be the first time we see Him. But our relationship will already have been long settled. You see, the wife, the church, is not going to suddenly get herself ready like in the last second. Whoa, throw on some clothes and go out the door kind of ready. No, we'll be have been getting ready for a long time, or at least we should be. Did any of you brides simply roll out of the bed for the wedding? Like throw on sweatpants, go to the, <laughs> go to the altar? No, at least most of them I know did not. There was preparation, right? You probably got up early and you got the hair and the makeup into something blue and old and stolen or whatever, all that it goes into it. <laughs> probably much longer than that than just the day. Weeks of preparation, months, maybe even years. Some girls dream about their wedding since they're little girls and they've been playing that in their head. So when the time comes, oh yeah, they're ready. They know what colors they want. They won't know what kind of cake they want. They know where they want it. They've got it all lined out. They've been getting ready for this for a long time. Well, shouldn't we do the same as God's bride? Our hearts and our minds and our lives already made ready for His coming. I've got this and this and this and that in order for when He comes. And let me just interject this here. We're talking about when He comes, right? His second coming. Understand. It could also be our going to Him. We all have an expiration date. I'm not guaranteed to live till the second coming of Christ. I could drop dead while I'm preaching here. So if I'm waiting for some events to start happening, to start getting ready, I'm far behind, aren't I? What if He was to show up? Like, poof, there He is, right now. Are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> Would I be? 
very few would probably have their lives in order as they should. You got to think, man, we spend we spend a lot of life in preparation for one thing or another, right? Marriage takes preparation. What about babies? Babies take preparation. Yeah, you got to get the rooms ready and all the stuff and the car seats and the baby diapers. And you think you have it all lined out. Then the baby comes and you find out you don't know squat about, about babies and sleep schedules and all that. We, we try to prepare for those things, right? We want to get everything set and get ready and, okay, here it comes. And then, then they start growing up and you start college funds for them and you put them in college prep classes to prepare them for college or whatever it is so that college can prepare them for a career. And then they get married and start the cycle again. And then we begin to prep for the ultimate, retirement, right? The day when I can do nothing and get paid for it. (laughs) I'm not even 100% sure that's a biblical concept, but we we sure like it, right? So you scrimp and you save and you invest and you do all these whatevers. Just to prepare. We, we spend a lot of time in our lives preparing for something with a very horizontal focus. If you want to know how that all really ends up, read Ecclesiastes. Poof. Vanity. Vanity. But we spend our lives preparing for it. Now, just, just imagine if we put that much effort into getting ready for forever like we're concerned about an earthly pension I've got some decisions right now to make about pension versus non things things that are on my plate that are a very real concern to me for the future well what if we were more concerned about the eternal pension than a temporary one is that crazy talk is that, am I off my rocker? Have I gone spiritually nuts? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, if I don't got a lot of money in stock market, it doesn't really bother me if it goes dip. I only lose pennies or dollars. <laughs> But if I got a whole lot and there's a whole lot riding on that number on the Dow Jones or whatever it is, oh man, my heart's going to be drawn to some things. And if I'm banking everything on eternity and enjoying forever with Christ, where do you think my heart's going to be when it comes to other issues? It's going to be in the right place, isn't it? His wife has made herself ready. This isn't just a a one-day preparation. She's been ready. And the preparation begins now, not when you begin to see things happening that are listed in the book of Revelation. No, when you see it happen now. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus had some things to say about this. He's got many kingdom parables. We're not going to spend time going through all of them, but just know when you read that, that uh, phrase, he starts with, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened, or the kingdom of God shall be like this, or the kingdom... That that should be a phrase to to get you to understand what he's talking about. He's talking about future events. Matthew chapter 25. You know this parable. You've read it before. Verse 1. 
Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. We're right in the wheelhouse of Revelation chapter 19, right? His wife hath made herself ready, and now we have this comparison. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish, verse 3, took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but... Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. He's talking about preparation. Five wise, five foolish. They're all in the same playing field. Five were preparing. Of course, we know there's a lot of symbolism here. Oil could be the Holy Spirit. We see that symbol running through Scripture. Five were spiritually preparing. They were full of the Spirit. So when the day came, they were ready. Five were not. And they tried to get ready when the day was actually here, and it didn't work. It doesn't work. We're not going to be a, uh, you're not going to get right in the last days and pray a prayer of repentance as that last trumpet sounds. No. Spiritual procrastination is not a thing. It's not a thing. We're either wise or we're foolish. We're either ready to go and in touch, so when he comes and says, Hey, I'm here, let's go. The wife hath made herself ready. We're ready to go. If not, we'll be scrambling around wondering what's happened. Philippians chapter 2, let's turn there. Another verse that kind of pulls out this idea of getting ready, of being ready. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. The first part of the chapter is the wonderful part about the, the uh, humility of Christ. Verse 9, familiar verses, Wherefore God hath highly exalted Him, given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, because of that, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now don't get confused. Many people say, I take that the wrong way. Oh, you've got to work for your salvation. That's not what Paul said. He said, work out. Let it work out. Live it out. There's a change within us, so then there should be a change in our actions, our desires. We should be living according to what God has done for us, right? Isn't salvation a motivation to come to church? Isn't salvation a motivation to witness? Because God has saved us from hell and done all of these things for us. So we work it out, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So we are to work it out as God works in us, right? Making ourselves ready. Many other places we could go, but we get the sense that that is uh, the command of Scripture. 
that we are to be preparing for His coming. We talked a little bit about, about this on Sunday. Many people have the idea that salvation is a one-and-done one thing. Boom, we're on our way. Happily ever after go we into the sunset. And there's no requirements after that. God wants nothing from us after that. And that's not the case. We just saw right there. Work out your own salvation. And there's, there's calls to follow and, and to, to uh, yield ourselves as a servant to Him. All of it making ready for when He comes again. You ever think about that? Who's, how are you going to answer them? Those who say baptism is not necessary. How are you going to answer Jesus when He says, why weren't you baptized? Uh, well, because, you know, really, baptism was an old school thing, Jesus, and you don't understand the time. You're not going to say any of that. You're going to bow on your face and say, forgive me. Why weren't you part of my church? Well, your music stunk. You didn't have blue lights or blue jean pastors. I, I don't know. All these silly excuses. No, there's not going to be none of that. Yet we have the audacity to do that now, don't we? No. We know who His people are. We need to join ourselves with His people. We need to live faithfully in preparation for the day when we will finally be joined to Him. His wife hath made herself ready. And verse 8, back in chapter 19, tells us. Revelation 19.8 To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. She is arrayed in fine linen. What a beautiful picture. We all, we all are familiar with the bridal dress, right? That beautiful white, shining dress. Pure white. And that's the picture that's given here. Fine linen, clean and white. The word white is shining, brilliant. Um, first, before we kind of take a step, just turn back a page and notice a contrast. You have this beautiful bride of Christ uh, represented by this woman fine, uh, white, clean linen. Look in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon, the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. You see the contrast between the two? We already have seen and we've already studied that this woman is false religion. And she's pictured as this loud, obnoxious, drunken woman who's dressed... And, and just plastered with jewelry and rather shameful and filthy picture contrasted to the, the very basic yet very beautiful definition we have. She's arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. What a contrast. 
You see, there is a simple beauty of the truth of God and, and being part of that and being changed by it. There's simple, clean truth. False religion always has to add. They always have to do this or do that and try to add things here and add things there. That's exactly what they've done. They've added salvation by works or uh, bowing down, confessing your sins to a man or buying this or buying that. Or They've added here and there and it's all false and it comes out to a picture just like this Revelation chapter 17 woman. When you compare that to the bride of Christ, there's quite a difference, isn't there? Fine linen, clean and white. So what is this all about? And that's where we'll finish up. Just a couple thoughts on that. What is this fine linen? Because she's arrayed in it. It says it was given to her, right? So we're going to walk backwards in the Bible just a little bit. If you're in Revelation 19, turn to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. I want you to just notice a couple things here. This is a warning we looked at recently. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest they walk naked and they see his shame. Oh, so now garments seem to have be something that's attached to something that have to do with my responsibility and my actions, right? Or else Jesus would say, Don't worry, I got your garments. He says, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth, guards his raiment, guards his garment. All of you who have dogs, especially big dogs like me, I got a lab, you know what it's like when they drink water. <laughs> it's not a sip through a straw, neat and clean. <laughs> you might as well take a measuring cup of water and just throw it on the floor after they get drinking out of their, done drinking out of their bowl, and then they walk around the house, right? Well, Sunday morning when you got a suit on and you're ready to come to church and the dog takes a drink, you don't want that all over your suit, and you start doing some dance moves to keep the dog's face away from you. And, no, get away, go, go. I get the picture here, especially with something we're going to read. Blessed is he who guards his garments. All the ladies who's out, who's who have had a nice dress and have kids or been around food, you're very careful, right? You don't want anything getting on that dress or any of us for, for that matter. We get it. Trying to keep ourselves clean. That's the idea here. Jesus says, Blessed is he who is watching and trying to guard his garments. Chapter 7, verse 9. Go to chapter 7 and verse 9. This is a vision here. John sees, John writes down what he sees. Verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues. And they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. This is a vision of what we're seeing take place in Revelation chapter 19. Fast forward down to verse 13. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. 
For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's like a mini statement of Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22 in Revelation chapter 7. These are those that washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb, and they have come through, they have persevered. So see, it's not now we have a little bit of a personal responsibility, and of course, Christ doing the work to get these things clean, us keeping them clean, right? Chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 3. This is a letter Jesus himself is writing, dictating to John. This one happens to be to the church in Sardis. Notice what he says in Revelation 3, 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast. Repent, hold fast to what has been given to you. They had begun to slip. There's some things that were ready to die. The letter says, he says, hold fast, turn back from your slipping away. Hold fast to what you've heard. Therefore, if thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Man, there's a whole lot we could say right there, right? If thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. If we are watching, then He won't come on us as a thief. I'm not making that up, right? That's the reverse of what's there. Make sense? Okay. I will come on these, and thou shalt not know what hour I'll come up in thee. Verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You see, again, this, this mention of this clothing. There's some who haven't defiled themselves, and they're going to walk with me in white. He who overcomes, he who has the victory. Victory over what? Victory over sin, victory over temptation, victory over this world's draw, victory over our own sin nature through Christ. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white raiment. Who's clothed in white raiment? The wife hath made herself ready. It was granted to her that she should be arrayed in fine linen. So we see we've got to be faithful to Christ. We've got to keep ourselves from the world. Hold fast. Repent. Follow Him, right? James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and then we got one more place we'll go and we'll be finished. James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure, excuse me, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Remember the dog in the water? What if we acted like that with sin? Every time temptation came around us, every time sin, oh, nope, get away from me. I don't want none of that. Stay away from me. And keeping ourselves unspotted, the thoughts that come in, the, the draw to actions or temptation or whatever it is. If we had that kind of attitude, nope, I don't want none of that. I'm going to keep myself clean because we know what the promise is, right? Those who overcome will walk with me in white. Now, does that mean we're not going to sin? No. 
course not. We're going to sin. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? If we have a truly repentant heart, He will pick us up, dust us off, and set us back where we need to go. After all, we can wash our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Didn't we read that? And the blood still speaks. It's not just a thing that is effective only at salvation. No, my sins are still forgiven because of the blood that was shed on the cross. That's how I have forgiveness of sins now. His blood still speaks to wash away my sins. The fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Some translations say the righteous acts or the righteous deeds. The things we do that are right. There's many places we could go, but I think a pretty clear one is 1 Peter chapter 1. So we'll finish up there, see some things that it has to say, and then we'll kind of move on from this. We know who the, we know who the wife is as she's described, God's faithful people. We know that she is to be making herself ready, so we are to be preparing our hearts and our minds for the day that we are with Him. And we know that by this picture of, of, of white linen, clean and, and white, that we're supposed to be doing righteously, keeping ourselves from the world. 1 Peter chapter 1 kind of puts it all into a, a good flow for us. 1 Peter 1 and chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That living hope that we have is what we're talking about in Revelation 19. That's alive to me. I know that's coming. Begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, white linen, clean and bright, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, Unto salvation, ready to be revealed on the last time. I love that verse. If things go south and the country goes downhill, we are kept by God. We are kept by the power of God through faith. That should bring great hope. We are kept. Wherein, verse 6, ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glorying at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming when it's going to be worth it all. Our faith will be made sight. Verse 8, Whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Running out of time. Verse 10, verse 11, verse 12 says all the Old Testament points to that. All of these things point to what is coming, to things that we experience spiritually. We know Christ spiritually and very well we'll see with our physical eyes someday. All of it pointing to Him, that day when He comes back. Verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, Oh, Lord knows I need that. If there's something I've needed in the past couple weeks, it's to gird up the loins of my mind. Let me just be frank, and I can speak to the situation going on. What happens if it all goes to, to pot and things go crazy? We get what would be a nightmare for a leader. 
Biden. Let me make that clear because some people could listen and say it's the other way around. What happens if that's the case? It's time to get to work. It's time to do the work of a church. It's not time for us to stop and seek shelter in some commune full of Republicans. It's time to go to work. So I need to gird up the loins of my mind, get ready to go to work. Okay, this is what it is. God's not any less God than He was three days ago. Still the same God. Still the same expectation. In fact, might be a chance to have His power shown a little bit more. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You see these themes beginning to tie together now? Keeping your garments, walking with Him. It's just because God has done all of this for us, so we follow Him and we live a holy life. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, forasmuch as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and with spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Verse 22, Seeing then that you have purified your souls... You have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit to sincere love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. There's a whole process right there. I don't got time to explain, but we purify, we purify our lives. We keep our garments clean by obeying the truth as the Holy Spirit leads us, which is going to lead us to the love of the brethren. Right into that beautiful relationship of the church where we sh where, that we share with Christ to be united to Him someday. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So we know who it is. His wife is His people, His church of the New Testament. We know that she is to be preparing herself, living a life in obedience, ready to meet Him. And that will be evident in her righteous deeds in each one of our lives as our lives are kept clean, unspotted from the world. Those, they are those who are called to the marriage supper. That's the next subject we'll kind of talk about next week. Because verse number 9 in Revelation 19 says, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You understand that's not everybody in the world. That's not everybody who necessarily believes because there's some people walking around without garments. There's some people walking around with defiled garments. But there are those who have been righteous uh, through the Spirit and obeying the Spirit. All that to say, let's get ready. Let's live a life that's in preparation for Him. We have a chance to do that, especially, especially with some things that we'll be facing. It doesn't doesn't take this away. In fact, it should make this more of a hope and more sweeter to us. So I pray that was helpful. And uh, 
pray it gives a little bit of hope, maybe piques some interest on some things, and uh, we'll pick up with that again next week.